Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome to this week's episode of the Vertical Podcast with JJ Reddick. This week we are joined by longtime sports writer for the New York Times, William C. Roden. Let's get it. Yahoo Sports presents the Vertical Podcast with J.J. Reddick, powered by digital media. Find your voice. And now, your host, J.J. Reddick. Welcome back to the Vertical Podcast with J.J. Reddick. This week, we are going to be joined by recently retired New York Times sports writer, William C. Roden. For the sake of this podcast and the listeners, I'm going to call him Bill from here on out. Bill is a guy that I've admired from a distance for a long time. As I explained to Bill uh, during our conversation later on in the podcast, I first came across some of his work while a student at Duke doing research for a couple of papers that I wrote on Tommy Smith and John Carlos. Tommy Smith and John Carlos were two African-American Olympic athletes who went to the 1968 Summer Olympics in Mexico City. They competed in the 200-meter run. Tommy Smith got the gold. John Carlos got the bronze. And during the national anthem, they both raised their right fist uh, wearing a black glove, sort of in protest, uh, but also in support of, of both the black power movement, but also just the civil rights movement in large and really human rights. The guy who got silver was a, a gentleman named Peter Norman, who was Australian, and he wore a little pin on his jacket on the podium in support of of Mr. Smith and Mr. Carlos. So that's the first time I'd heard of William C. Roden and uh, met him about 10 years ago, very briefly, have followed him on Twitter for a while. Uh, Bill also has a podcast called Roden on Sports um, that is really, really good, and it's a great listen. So if you're into sports podcasts, please give Bill's podcast a listen. One more thing about my conversation with Bill. We were lucky enough that Bill was out here in Southern California this past weekend. I drove down to Orange County and met him at the Montage in Laguna Beach. He was there for a a big conference, and we recorded our conversation in, in one of the conference rooms at the Montage. So the audio on that is a little bit different than the audio right now, just an FYI. Bill and I didn't have time to get to a four-on-four, but in honor of Bill, this week's four-on-four is my favorite novels. Now, Bill's written a book. He's never written a novel, but rather than do nonfiction, I'm going to do my four favorite novels. Three contemporary ones real quick. Number one, City of Thieves, was written by David Benioff. He's one of the writers for Game of Thrones. He also wrote 25th Hour, which Spike Lee made into a movie starring Edward Norton. That's an awesome movie. And, of course, everybody knows Game of Thrones. City of Thieves is is about two guys in Russia during World War II who are tasked with the the improbable um, job of finding a dozen eggs in occupied Russia for the general's daughter's wedding cake. It's hilarious. It's poignant. And it's loosely based on David's grandfather, who was in Russia during World War II. All right, number two of my four favorite novels would have to be De Niro's Game. Uh, De Niro's Game is about two friends who are sort of on opposite sides during the, the Civil War in Lebanon during the 1980s. It's an awesome book. Number three for me is The Art of Fielding. It's going to sound really corny, but it's about a baseball player in college uh, who is pursuing this this streak of errorless games played, and uh, it's a it's a long read. I think it's like close to seven hundred pages, um, but the art of fielding flies by. It's one of my favorite books I've ever read, and it it has more to do 
with life and relationships and sort of the pursuit of perfection uh, than it does with, with baseball. And my fourth book is an old book. I'm pretty sure I had to read this book in like fifth or sixth grade, but it's called A Separate Piece by John Knowles. Um, I've reread it several times, including last year as an adult, and uh, became very emotional every every few chapters when I was reading it because it's just such an incredible book. But it's about two uh, teenage kids who were at boarding school uh, during World War II, and an incident you know between them sort of cuts a, a, a rift in their friendship. And if you've read the book, you know Phineas. Phineas is sort of the not the narrator, but the main character in the book we nearly named both of my sons Phineas but then realized that their name would have to be Phineas the rest of their life and so we we exnade that all right that's this week's four on four my four favorite novels City of Thieves De Niro's Game Art of Fielding and A Separate Piece without further ado let's get to this week's guest William C. Roden Bill, you you were a columnist for the New York Times for thirty three years. Yeah, now and you we, just yeah. retired. Well, refocused. Refocused. Re- okay. Re- re- we don't, Good way to put it. You'll see it. You'll see eventually when you <laughs> you're still young. But you know when that time yeah. when it, it's very funny. Uh, first of all, thank you so much, uh, JJ, for having me uh, on the on the show. I must tell you, you get this all the time because you play with Duke. I said, man, JJ is really a nice guy. <laughs> he's he's really a good kid. <laughs> Surprisingly, right? Yeah. No, no, but uh, no. I was with the I was with the Times for uh, thirty five years, and I wrote the Sports sure. the Times column for twenty six straight years, and I wrote my last column, July twenty fifth. And uh, you'll probably find out, but you know, you always hear about athletes and what I'm talking about when they walk away and just uh, thing. And it's funny that after I wrote the last column and I'm thinking, damn, man, 26 years, that's a long time because you don't, you're don't, you not really aware of, and it's kind of like you, I mean, although you're never really off. You know, you have an off season, mm-hmm. but you're never really off. And with the column, I went to bed thinking about it. I woke up thinking about it. I'm on vacation thinking about it. Wow. And it's always a part of you. And then when you stop and you realize that that column sucked up all this energy and man I'm so excited now because I mean I start the day there's so many things I want to do it takes me two hours <laughs> just to get out the house because I want to I do this no 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 I want to do this no no I want to do this I, I got to buy a car uh, I got to write that you know but it's very exciting and uh, the body of work has been very you know? I d- had never really thought about it that way the mm-hmm. way you say that like during the season during the off season it doesn't, it doesn't matter it, right. it's not even if I'm at the gym or at the right. You know, on a plane, or it's—it's it's not just the time that I'm actually spent working. It's the mental right. side of it that we're right. totally, fully invested. You—you you said off. You're—you're you're never really you're, off. You're never really off. I'm never turning myself off. No, you're always and, on. And all of a sudden, I'm going into my 11th year next year, and I'm like, wow. oh god, this is this wow. is flown by all of a sudden. Well, 11, and you know, you think how quickly. I mean, mine was 35, but That's in dog your years, 11 <laughs> years, 12 years of NBA is like. Yeah. 30 years of time. I think, the thing I, was thinking about, I think about this all the time because you guys, it's the body too. It's like your, your body mm-hmm. clock. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know what I'm saying? So I'm thinking, because I always wonder, and I think a lot of people wonder too when, when you come on my show. Well, I was just, <laughs> but but, but I, I was always fascinated. I don't think people understand, well, what are these guys? You don't go to Rucker anymore. I mean, but do, where do you play? Where do you, and, and uh, can you have a glass of wine or do you kind of have yeah. to monitor what you put in your body? And, you know, because it's, you can never really just hang out, right? No, you can't. As you get older, like mm-hmm. you sort of figure out what you can and cannot do mm-hmm. by trial and error a little bit. Mm-hmm. And with the resources we have now, I mean, so much of like my mental focus is right. on everything I do for my body. Because mm-hmm. I'm 32 now and mm-hmm. I, got, I, I can't recover the same way mm-hmm. that I could at 24 right. or 25. <laughs> right. yeah, I think that makes right. sense. Right, right. You mentioned your podcast, by the yeah, way, yeah. Bill Roden on Sports Podcast. You're, I, I want to say like 84, 85 episodes yeah, in. You've been like doing that. about a year and a half. Yeah. What has your been a, a experience like with the podcast? Eight, number one, it's been great. I mean, it's because I was going to ask you the same thing. Like, why the hell are you doing a podcast? <laughs> um, but but why are we doing a podcast? Yeah, well, but it's fine though. It's, it's it really, is fun. It's, it's, it's a whole and it's, and it's feel. It's, it's kind of free. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a little free, but it's just I love ever since I was at college. 
I always, I was probably more of a communicator than like a journalist. I mean, I saw what we do is one huge home, and journalism is one part, communication is the other, but I want to be master as many platforms of communicating with people as possible. And I've always loved the visual, loved the audio, and this is just, it's just so free. Like I said, we're, we're sitting, I don't know if you want to spoil the illusion, but yeah. we're sitting... <laughs> We're sitting in a very small conference room at the Montage in Laguna Beach, California. You're out here for a conference. Right, the Black Corporate Directors Conference. Yeah. And uh, it happened to be in town, and I'd been trying to get you on the, on the show for a while, right. and this, this sort of worked out. So this right. is, but this, this is but great. The point is, you could just bring your, you could bring your equipment yeah. and set up, and we could have a great conversation anywhere. So I just find it very, I find it very liberating. Mm -hmm. uh, the one thing I found, we've, the first year we did it, we were at CBS. They started this thing called the Play It Network. Yeah. And uh, what they do is sort of like survival of the fittest. And we didn't realize that. We thought, okay, it's the CBS network and blah, 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 blah. We, didn't, we thought with all the resources sure. that come with it, well, no, it's up to you. We're thinking you're at the New York Times, you know, you're bringing, <laughs> you're bringing resources. I'm like, well, I thought that you said, no, I thought you. Yeah. But, but what, what I learned in that year was the most important thing about this, because everybody's looking at numbers numbers it's a numbers game sure. you know and you know what i found you know i've been at the new york times and before that uh ebony magazine the baltimore sun and, and essentially i always played in a big band i was always in a big band mm -hmm. and so when you're in a big band you just show up you play your part <laughs> and then you go get drunk or, you know you play yeah. you play but now when you leave and now you got your own quintet now i've got to book the band yeah. i've got to do the charts I've got to be the discipline. It's all on me now. Yeah. And so now you become more aware of how important social media is. Sure. And uh, you may be of the era, you're 32, so you're probably just at the, at the where social media was, it's just a natural I was thing. a sophomore in college when Facebook started. Okay. Yeah, Mark Zuckerberg and I were in college at the same time. I remember with Facebook when it was, you know, you had to have a duke.edu email right, right, to get right, on right, Facebook. Right, right, yeah. right, right. It's funny you mentioned social media because I'm not naturally inclined to be active on social media. It's right. just it's not necessarily a huge interest of mine. I use Twitter more for uh, news gathering and, and just Than tweeting out your show or right, something. Right, like exactly. That. And but because of this podcast right. It hasn't forced me, but it's given me a reason to engage more on social media. And surprisingly, it's been a lot of fun. Yeah, well, you should probably see the advantage of you should probably have a gazillion followers. <laughs> I'm not a gazillion, but yeah. a lot of people who love the NBA, they love Duke, you know, fans of yours. And that's a really powerful, that's a powerful thing because you really have this waiting audience out there and it depends on what you're going to feed them. Right. So that, but that's why I see that this thing is just a, a really magical, you know, magical form. I'm feeding them Bill Roden this week. Okay, cool. <laughs> All right. Open wide. <laughs> this is the Vertical Podcast with J.J. Reddick. Peter King here, reminding you to subscribe and listen to all new and archived episodes of the MMQB Podcast with Peter King, as well as the MMQB Podcast with Albert Breer and the 10 Things MMQB Podcast. As you know, I travel a lot. Sometimes I just want to close my eyes, throw on the headphones, and get lost in a great story. I'm going to hook you up with a great way to do that. Just remember this code, JJ, and you can get a free audiobook from Audible. Audible is offering our listeners a free audiobook with a 30-day trial membership. Just go to audible.com slash JJ and browse the unmatched selection of audio programs, download a title for free, and start listening. It's that easy. Go to audible.com slash JJ, that's audible.com slash JJ, and get started today. Audible content includes an unmatched selection of audiobooks, original audio shows, news, comedy, and more from the leading audiobook publishers, broadcasters, entertainers, magazine, and newspaper publishers, and business information providers. If I had to give one recommendation... I'm going to be a homer here, but Coach K's book, Leading with the Heart, Coach K's Successful Strategies for Basketball, Business, and Life, is available on audio. It's the unabridged version by Mike Krzyzewski with Donald T. Phillips, and it's narrated by Richard Davidson. Audible also has free apps for the iPhone, iPad, Android, and Windows Phone. So grab the free audiobook with a 30-day trial membership by going to audible.com slash JJ. That's audible.com slash JJ. Mm -hmm. 
I, I, I told you earlier this week that I was a big fan, and, and the reason I'm a fan of yours, well, for a lot of reasons, but it started when I was at Duke, actually. Mm-hmm. And uh, my junior year, I took an anthropology and sports class, and then my senior year, I took an Amer- a history class called uh, American Myths Heroes. Mm. And in both the classes, I decided to write on Tommy Smith and John Carlos. Oh, wow. Okay. So I had to do two 30-page papers on both these guys. Mm. And uh, each paper was decidedly different, but... A, 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 each, each person? Each uh, individual? Or? Well, the, the, one was more looking at uh, race in sports. Mm-hmm. That was the anthropology class. And then the history class was more kind of deconstructing the the myth of heroism. And that kind of focused more on post-Olympics. So for the listeners out there, Tommy Smith and John Carlos. Tommy Smith won the gold medal. John Carlos, the, the bronze medal in the 1968 uh, Summer Olympics in Mexico City. And uh, both during the national anthem raised a fist in support of black power and the black power movement during the 1960s. And, and they were essentially... They were abolished from the Olympic Village. They were told right. to go home. Right. And I didn't realize this till I started reading your columns from the summer. The USOC has not issued an apology to them. Oh, no. no, it's, That's it's, insane. No. Well, yeah, it's very funny because I thought about, see, see, man, you know, you got to get up early in the morning for these people. So, so I wrote the column before. I said, you know, the time is for the, for the apology. It's been, what, 40, what, six, what, how many, 50 years? Yeah. 68? Well, so, because I got wind that something was happening. So I, I finally called the USOC. And so this was, remember, this was before the Olympics. So that's the last yeah. phone call they wanted. Right. Because they didn't want anybody. Because remember, just before, there had been Carmelo Anthony and, the and LeBron and the ESPYs. So that's like, oh, my God. Well, they don't want anybody getting the ideas. And Bruce says, okay, well, we're going to do something afterwards. And so I said, well, can I get a comment? Well, no, because we don't really want to trump our celebration, which they still not had yet. This is what we're, we're – Three weeks after the Olympics. After, yeah. and, and still nothing. And so, so I, I spoke to Carlos and Smith for the column. And he said, well, yeah, I mean, we, they give us an apology because our lives were made miserable. And it's so funny, uh, J.J., I mean, the irony is that we're talking about this Colin Kaepernick. Could you imagine him doing this stuff in 1968? It's crazy. It would just be, and particularly what the NFL was yeah. in 1968, where it wasn't like this, where it was like 76, 76% black and all that. Yeah. They would be hung by their toes. Yeah. No, but there's been no apology. And what they were saying is, well, we're going to do something. So I said, well, are you going to do an apology? Or they were talking about, we'll give them, we're going to give them a, like a certificate. <laughs> so each, each a spoke, certificate a, of an apology. Of an apology. Well, not, no, they didn't. They, apology is nowhere in whatever they were saying. But it's, it's phenomenal that, and I asked Smith and Carlos, well, what do you guys think about them giving you something? I said, if it's not an apology, why bother? And so here we are in 2016, getting ready to go into 2017, and there's been no statement, no apology, no nothing. And you're right. I mean, I think it's preposterous. It is. Going back to my original story about the papers at Duke, a lot of my source material was your articles and your columns. You've mm-hmm. written extensively about both these gentlemen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, and it's just, it's, it, it is fascinating to me. You grew up. During the 1960s, you were a teenager, right? In the in the late 60s. Yeah. I don't yeah. want to I don't want to age you, but th- it, it was too late but, for that. But, but yes, this yeah. this was an era when uh, Muhammad Ali was protesting the Vietnam War, right. had his championship belt stripped from him. Uh, obviously, Tommy Smith and John Carlos, Jackie Robinson probably predated you in 1947. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, I was uh, there with Jack Johnson. But, but, but you grew up in an era when uh, when African American athletes really used their platform and used their voice and. Mm. Uh, and the reception then was poor, I would say. Mm-hmm. There, there was backlash, obviously, right. just like there is today. Yeah, I mean, the difference is that there, because of segregation, yeah. uh, it worked to the advantage in that you had a lot of black folks concentrated in the same areas, whether you're a doctor, lawyer, whatever. I grew up in Chicago, yeah. and, you know, the Cubs, you know, Ernie Banks, all those guys lived certain places. You had a lot of great musicians. We were all in this, in this sort of same community. So it was kind of hard to be an Uncle Tom because you could be, but you have to come back in the community. Now they make it easy to be an Uncle Tom because you could live somewhere where you've never seen other black folks. Where there you were kind of like accountable for the stuff. Um, but, you know, my, my last column was July 25th. I used Jim Brown. Jim Brown yeah. And the reason I use it, I always want to say, you know, 
I always wanted to tell the story. And when I was 16 years old, you know, Jim Brown was, of course, even then, this is 1966, he was the greatest, he was acknowledged even then, even by people who hated Black One of the folks. greatest ever. Ever. I ever. mean, not just in the Not th- just then. Ever. ever. They even knew then, so as much as we have ambivalence about black folk and the rise and all that, we know this guy is still <laughs> the greatest. So anyway, so he had just led Cleveland to the second consecutive NFL championship game. They won it in 66, and in 67, I guess, so they lost. Anyway, but even by then, he was establishing his brand as like he was an actor. So the season ended, and so he basically told Art Modell, was on to listen, you know, I'm kind of done, you know, uh, but if you need me, and people don't realize, he told us this, if you need me, if you don't think Leroy Kelly is ready, who would go on to become a Hall of if you don't think Leroy Kelly is ready, I'll stay another year and, you know, mentor him along. And gentlemen, you know, well, so of course Modell, they were in uh, London, England, shooting, what's the name of the movie, uh, not 100 Rifles, but uh, The Dirty Dozen. They were shooting the dirty dozen, so he and was. Jim late. Brown. Jim Brown was over in in England. He, in England yeah. shooting yeah. it. So it was bad weather and all that. So he couldn't. So he missed training camp. Number one, it's Jim Brown. Like Alan Iverson, like practice. You know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but so anyway, so he missed it. So so Modell starts sending these pub. He starts going public. If Jim Brown isn't here, you know, we're going to start firing him fifteen hundred. You know, he starts going public. Why are you going to do this, to Jim Brown? So what Jim Brown did, he held this news conference on the set of the Dirty Dozen and announced that I'm done. I he just announced retirement and people were freaked out. So I'm like 16, 17. I said, wow, that's great. He just said, can F you to Art Modell. And so I said, even then, I said, you know, whenever this is over, I always like to. So when I finally decided that I was going to, you know, take the money and run and, and end it, I used that as my comment. I called him. I called him uh, the night before because I was curious. I mean, did you ever have any second thoughts? Because this is a big deal. And he said, you know, not for one second. He said, once Modell started treating me like this was a plantation mm-hmm. and he was like my owner and, you know, and he owned me, he said, I'm, I'm done with that. And what was interesting is that he actually began, I don't think sometimes we really understand that either as, you know, journalists or even athletes who you've been with one team for a long time. Yeah that sometimes you tend to think that the place you've been for a long time, that that if not for that, if not for the NBA, if not for that, you would just kind of be just some anonymous guy. But what happens, and invariably what happens, is that you somehow even become larger, depending on how you've spent your life and career. Sure. You could sometimes even be larger. And so the, and the reason I mention all this is that that was 67, uh, 66. He does that, and I'm 16. I'm like, wow, Jim Brown. 67, Muhammad Ali says, I'm not going to the draft. Wow. 68, Smith and Carlos. 69, Kurt Flood says, who's the greatest center field ever, says, I'm not taking a trade. I'm not a piece of meat. You can't do this to me. He took on Major League Baseball. So in that four-year period of time, I'm 16, 17, 18, 19, my idea of what an athlete, in particular a black athlete, should be is formed. I'm like, well, hell, man, if you're not protesting – if you're not down with the community, whether you're a, an athlete, a journalist, a, a bus driver, a teacher, whatever, whatever you do, if you're not down with the struggle, then I have no use for you. And so that's who I became. That's what, and then my. So your voice yeah. stemmed from those experiences and, and that sort of influence yeah, my ideology. of those late. Yeah, ideology. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It stemmed from, from that. And I even now I kind of figured, you know, even as I got older, a guy like Jordan and uh, I feel, man, I'm about to be too hard on it because, you know, you never want to, yeah. you know, you don't want to be the guy that says, well, you're living in it. But, you know, I said, well, no, you're not being too hard because that's the only reason black folks have been able to survive 400-something years is because you're constantly pushing. You're constantly mm-hmm. struggling, which is why it's interesting. We didn't, you didn't ask me about Kaepernick, but even— We're going to get there. Yeah, yeah but, 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 <laughs> yeah. but just my, my snapshot of that is yeah. that that flows right into the whole dynamic of struggle and and even though it's not comfortable, yeah. the whole idea of struggle is that it's not supposed to be comfortable. Right. I think Obama said it best. He said these things are supposed to be messy. Right. Exactly. I'm paraphrasing him, obviously, but right. he said these things are supposed to be messy. I think it's anytime you protest anything, if you're not 
making people uncomfortable, then I don't know that What's you're really point? protesting. So what is he supposed to say? Say, you know, go to the office and listen, um, a few of the <laughs> I'd like to stage a little protest um, Sunday. Do you mind? I'd like to yeah. kneel down. Oh, sure, Colin. Just, uh, yeah. you know, yeah. that's not the way. Yeah. Or in the Boston Tea Party. It's not like they went and said, to, they said listen, um, we're planning to kind of burn this boat down and got the team. Do you mind if we do that? You don't ask permission. And, and even then, people remember that the majority of people didn't want them to do the Boston Tea Party because people had it good. They said, wait a minute, don't rock the boat. We're kind of living deliciously here. And they said, yeah, but you are, but no representation. You. You know, so our whole country was basically rooted mm-hmm. in protest and struggle. That's who we are yeah. As a nation. Are you saying that regardless of, of your race, that's oh, the I, identity of our country? Who we are, the, the, guys, right, the right to protest. The right, not only the right to protest, but it, the necessity. It's the almost, necessity. It's, yeah. it's almost a, it's not a, uh, what do you call it, a right. It's not a luxury item. It's not a luxury <laughs> item. That's kind of what you do now, yeah. 99%. Like when you guys, uh, when you guys decide to wear your jerseys inside out yeah. or something like that, and that's, you know, I mean, some people were wondering what took people so long, but that was, you know. Anyway, but so the, the point is that it's not a luxury item. You know, protest is not a, a luxury item. You brought up wearing the jerseys inside out. Uh, you're, you're referring to uh, my first year in L.A. during the playoffs, actually, the first round of the playoffs. Uh, it came out of a private recording. Donald Sterling, uh, our old owner, basically said that black people weren't welcome at, at games. Uh-huh. Um it was a, a very surreal experience to go through. Um, and I think the thing that touched home the, the most for me was how upset my teammates were mm. um, because it was so personal to them. Right. Um, because you know, I saw them crying and they're, mm. they're literally lamenting about their dad or, mm. their, or their mom or mm. their kid not being welcome at their own game. That's mm. a hard thing to go through. Yeah. Now that, that, and, that, and that was a very interesting period. I think it was enlightening for a lot of people. Right. And uh, and I probably you know, and this is not necessarily the question, but you know, for you, for a white athlete, and it's, I think it's a very unique dynamic yeah. because within the NBA, within your locker room, you might be a, a quote unquote minority within sure. the locker room, and you hear no, interesting. Yeah, but when yeah. you walk out, right now you walk back out to the same familiar power dynamic, yeah. where the people who control everything or what you know, it's a very interesting dynamic. So the thing with that though is, I I think regardless of your race, mm. I think when you hear something said like that, or when you, what Kaepernick is protesting, when you right. witness these videos that are popping up on social media, right. th- these abusive, right. sometimes murderous videos, it doesn't matter what your race is, right. you're going to be sickened by that. Right. Like I was sickened by Donald Sterling's comments. Mm. I, I, was, I wanted to distance myself from that comment. And so there was like this weird, I don't want to say it was tension, but it was sort of awkward for me at the time. Because I was, uh, you know, maybe one of one or two white guys on the team. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it was great though. I mean, and I think what I don't know how you felt afterwards, but when you do something like that, you come out of it feeling more empowered. <laughs> you know, what I'm saying yeah. even though you know, you at first, you know, you're you're probably I don't know, you grow up your life, particularly athletes, I think, less yeah. more so than other entertainers. If you're an athlete, you grow up. It's like very regimented, military. I mean, you know, I don't know if Coach K would. What, how much stuff, I mean, whether he would, like, like I'm thinking of flag issue, maybe you should have him on the show. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm yeah. like, but I think of Nick Saban, yeah. Coach K, Bob, I mean, would they deal with that? Would they deal with their players doing that? But I found that when you do something like that and you find out that when we do it collectively, what are they going to do? They're going to fire, they're going to fire the entire team, they're going to fire yeah. all the 49, they're going to, you know, yeah. and you realize when LeBron and them do the thing on the SBs. Uh, or when you know when you do things as a unit, yeah. they're not they're not going to fire the whole yeah. team. So I just feel maybe you can correct me if I'm wrong that when you do when you guys took that stand, I don't know if at the end of it you got you guys felt more empowered. We felt more empowered. We felt closer. Doc's leadership during that was was pretty remarkable. Mm. In talking about the the ESPYS this yeah. year, when LeBron, D Wade. Carmelo and, and Chris sort of, you know, made this this statement at the beginning of the the ESPYS. I'm a fan of that. Obviously, it's good. I think people should speak their mind and speak out. What what is the effectiveness of that? I mean, you've been you've been sort of covering this now, mm-hmm. and and you've witnessed it. You know, going back to your teenage years, what mm-hmm. is the effectiveness of that? I just think it's it's like a river. It's just a continuum. Yeah, it's not like 
one bend in the river is going to determine the river. It's just one bend in the river. What we are here in this particular segment of our lives, it's one. It's our contribution sure. to the flow of the river. You know, and and you That's either a beautiful way to put and it, and you either do or you don't. Yeah. You know, and so it's, it's one continuum. What what they did is we kind of contributed to the flow of struggle. What happened with you know when when Derrick Rose wore I can't breathe and. Whatever and people are saying, well, sometimes people are looking for the home run, you know, or the slam. Does it? Well, this ain't. The, this is my role. It's like on a. T, this is my role. This is the role I play. Yeah. You know, your role is your role. Your role sure. is not to to do something you don't do. Right. Your role is to do what you do and to do it well. So, if you're an athlete, uh, like you said, that when you were in the locker room, something sickened you. Yeah. Well, it sickened you because you're a human being. It didn't sicken yeah. you because you're, and so you react. You said, well, now. And that's, I think, sometimes people early on had problems with athletes. Say, well, wait a minute, you know, I got (laughs) Nike, and I don't know, do I really want to do this? Or, you know, money is supposed to empower you. But I think sometimes, among a lot of young black kids, the money acted as a weakening age because you don't want to lose it. You're listening to The Vertical Podcast with J.J. Reddick. Bill, give me a minute to tell my listeners about Outdoor Voices. Outdoor Voices is the activewear apparel brand for the guy who believes he could definitely nail an NBA 3 first try, for the guy who catches a foul ball without dropping his beer, for the guy whose last mile is faster than his first mile, and who every four summers convinces himself his Olympic dreams aren't quite extinguished just yet. It's the active wear apparel for the guy who's still got it. They've sourced the best technical fabrics in the world to produce streamlined gear that's built to last, from the first sweat to the final whistle. Plus, it looks great without trying. It's called Technical Apparel for Recreation. Top-notch activewear made for everything from trotting the bases at beer league softball to pushing the last miles of your next half marathon. You already get free domestic shipping and returns, but we'll sweeten the deal. Go to OutdoorVoices.com slash JJ and Outdoor Voices will give you 15% off your first purchase with the coupon code JJ. That's OutdoorVoices.com slash JJ and enter coupon code JJ at checkout for 15% off your new favorite high-quality activewear. Now back to my conversation with Bill. In a way, it seems like athletes, and I think athletes are becoming more outspoken in the last maybe four or five years. And I would attribute that a little bit to social media. Mm -hmm. But it does seem like as salaries have risen, Mm -hmm. athletes and and endorsements have risen, athletes have been less likely to speak out because they inherently have more to lose from a a monetary standpoint. Does that make sense? Yeah, no. Well, unfortunately, yeah. but But I think now it's almost the reverse is almost true. In other words, the salaries have gotten so high. It's like I got you money. You, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, exactly. So yeah. What, and that's and that's how most of society works. Yeah. Where you like a lot of these guys. I mean, you have so much money that you say, yeah. But I think sometimes it. Well, wait a minute. I don't want to. You know, I don't want to lose it. I don't want to go back to. I remember what it was like. But I think that more people are saying, what are they going to do? But 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 I think that with the SBs and then with Jordan coming out. And then giving his million, I said, "Well, we've officially become commercialized now." <laughs> when, 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 you know, yeah. but but I think now it's almost become. And I think the danger in a capitalist society is that everything could be co-opted. Everything is for sale, even protests. Oh, hey, we could make some dough. We could do okay. Let's put on the logo. Let's let's have the logo. Let's of the brand way. a protest. Let's a brand protest. it, yeah. and then like you know, like like the, the iconic photo of Smith and Carlos. Every single person, if you don't have that in your in your office or in your space, you're not any kind of revolution. I mean, I've got it, you know. But now they could say, well, hey, man, we could brand that. We could put it on the side of, so you commercialize it, and yeah. by definition, it loses. Yeah. The, for, so they did that at the ESPYs, which was fine. But then when, when Kaepernick kind of stepped outside, and, whoa, wait a minute, that's kind of, you, you're dealing with an anthem now. We didn't, that was not programmed. That's not part of the, the ESPYs, we kind of, we wrote the, what do you call it? The monitors? We kind of you know. not knocking what they did at the ESPYS, but yeah. isn't it more effective when it isn't sort no. of scheduled? Oh no, no, that's it's the, more. The whole yeah, point. I'm agreeing with that's you. That's the whole yeah. point because then they could tell me. Yeah. Somebody gave me a heads up months ago. Now, you really listen to that last couple minutes because it's really going to be powerful. And they'll oh, well, let me tune as opposed to you show up and then it just kind of whoa, wait a minute. Yeah. We didn't know that. We didn't know that they were going. Kaepernick was going like yeah. like like if, if Tommy Smith and John Carlos would have told. Um, Okay, now listen. We plan to 
when yeah. that we're going to take our shoes off and put yeah. you know the shock value. Now, now Peter Norman, the the Australian, Peter, he he knew, he knew, and he was part once, of it. yeah, and he was part of he wore he the little pin, yeah, button and stuff. Yeah. And he took a lot of heat. Yeah, Peter Norman took a lot of heat in his home country right. in Australia. Yeah, 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 man, me too. And he was always and, and to be honest, with you, I didn't really realize the extent to which he supported because again, and see, we could all think like, oh, it was just a white guy. Who was like stunned? You know. <laughs> oh was, yeah, I'll do whatever you say. Yeah, yeah no, no, no. but but he actually was down. Yeah. With the movement because it wasn't just a black power movement; it was about human human rights. Human rights. And the yeah. violation of human rights and the blackness of it just represented a, a broader, profound truth of and that even black people today, there are white people in the country who when they saw the police dogs and the fire hoses, they looked at this and their reaction was like your reaction. Wait a minute, this isn't what I signed up for. I'm not necessarily in love with black. I mean, I don't know a lot of black people. That is not what I signed up for this country. So I'm going to go down to Mississippi or down to Alabama and tell people that this is not yeah. the land of the free, home of the brave, and that's why I'm going to protest. And I think that's what Kaepernick generally, I mean, the great thing what he's doing is that everybody can like have a take on it because it's not specifically defined. It's like, well, this is what it means to me. Yeah, <laughs> no, let's let's avoid the take. Let's avoid the take. I, right. You said something earlier that, that kind of resonated with <clears throat> me when I asked about the effectiveness of these protests. You said everybody's looking for a home run. And, I, and it's, it's so true, but it's, how hard is it to hit a home run with 300 million roughly people in this country, all coming with different perspectives, all coming with different backgrounds. And so the, I think the responsibility maybe, right. maybe that's the wrong word, but the mm -hmm. responsibility, I guess, is just to be a part of that river. And, yeah, exactly. Uh, well, you are a part of the river just right. by definition. Right. But this has been said a lot, but mm -hmm. the guy who, who said it during the, the Sterling thing was Steve Nash. He said something along the lines of, like, racism is a learned behavior. If, right. I, if I take right. my two-year-old right. to the park right. and, and there's, you know, a, a black kid and a white kid, like, he doesn't know the difference. He's got right. no preconceived notion. Right. And so as we sort of move forward generation to generation, it's our responsibility to, to essentially unlearn that and not teach that to our kids in the next generation. And I think, well, this is my perspective because right. I'm an optimist. Right, right, right. But the things that are happening in this country are good things. The conversation right. is a good thing. It's great. It's, I mean, I mean, I was on a train. Uh, I took a train. I flew into San Jose, and I took a train from San Jose down here to L.A. Yeah. And what they do is that, you know, I had a, a sleeper, and they put you, when you have dinner, they just put different combinations of people together. Uh -huh. And I, I had an interesting conversation with, you know, a white lady, and we were talking about stuff. And, if, you know, we had a couple of bottles of wine something. I do drink, but not a lot. <laughs> So at the end of this conversation with this yeah. woman, we were talking, talking, and sometimes I found invariably, sometimes if you're talking to a white person, if you're going to keep on going down the road, particularly with me, we're eventually going to deal with racism. Yeah. And people say, oh, we're going to talk about race. Well, race is not the problem of our country. Our problem is racism. And when people are oh, talking about race, well, what the hell does race mean? Race means absolutely nothing. Racism, as you said, that's our problem. So eventually we got somewhere and then she started talking about some of her black friends and you know, and then she said, yeah, but sometimes a lot of my friends have a chip on their shoulder. And why, like, Smith and Carl, they have a chip on it. And when you say that, well, if you study our history, if you study the history of black folk in America, the iron, I mean, the question, how come more people don't go nuts? How come more people don't, when, you know, are going off. It, it, that's And I think when people don't really understand the depth of our history, we are the only group. I mean, we're an immigrant nation, but we're the only group of immigrants who came against our will. Mm -hmm. Now, that doesn't make our experience better or worse, but it's a particular reality that, you know, every ethnic group looked at America, even now, and they looked at despite what they see, they signed up, we want that. No matter whether you're South America, Central America, whether you're in your Egypt, whatever, we said, we want that. Well, that's not our reality. We didn't say, we want that. They said, no, we want you, because we're building this. We got this invention over here we're yeah. building, and we need some free labor for about 400 years, so we're going to drag you over here and make you do this. And so we represent the profound hypocrisy of the country, because you had a democracy uh, based, uh, formed on the backs of 40 million slaves. And so we've never really rectified that. We just said, you know what? We are not going to go back and undo the foundation. We're just going to keep building on top of it. So invariably, the hypocrisy is what we're talking about whenever we talk about Donald Sterling yeah. or Colin Kaepernick. That's what he's talking about. He's talking about 
the hypocrisy of a, of a song, the hypocrisy of the moment. Mm-hmm. And I think that's our role is to continue to, to unravel the hypocrisy. So eventually, I don't know when, you know, what does Stevie want to say? My great-grandchildren and their great-grandchildren and their great-grandchildren will finally live in this ideal world, the universe, where it is free and happy and content of character and, yeah. you know. I, well, Russell Wilson yesterday came out and he gave his hot take on, uh, on Kaepernick. Oh, he did? What did yeah. he say? The message was pretty simple. He, he, he actually, it was very well articulated, but without quoting him directly, the message was pretty much love. You know, okay. that's that's cool. our job is to, to sort of love each other. And I, as a Christian, and, and right. I, you know, I believe in what Jesus said. Right. And, and that's sort of the calling that he gave us, right? right. Just to love other people. Right. Going back a second. Right. There's no room for that. I, uh, <laughs> I, was, I, was a, I was a history major at Duke. Right. And uh, I had a, a focus a little bit on the Civil War, which mm. is just, mm. it's crazy to think that that was 150 years ago. But mm. it's mm. mind-boggling. Growing up in Virginia in public schools, they tell you that the Civil War was about states' rights. Right, yeah. That's that's the right. that's the cause of the Civil <laughs> right, War. Right, and then right, I got right. to Duke, and I found out no, the cause of the Civil War was slavery. Right. I mean, it's and and so that's been perpetuated. Now. It's it's to the point where our country, I think, doesn't really want to recognize it because it's it's <laughs> such a bad moment in our time, and it went on, of course, for right. centuries, and. We're reminded of it, though. You know, when a, when a movie comes out or when these protests happen, we're reminded of it. Right. And we have to talk about it. It's uncomfortable to talk about, though. Right. It's uncomfortable to talk about. Well, it was. Well, yeah, I mean, generally, not for me. I mean, well, I, not I for love you. It. But, but, but no, as yeah. a nation of people, because it's just such, it's so antithetic yeah. to what we're taught that we, we you know, that we believe in. And, and remember, we march into other countries under the banner of, <laughs> democracy and making it better and blah 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 that's we use this whole the declaration say that's why we're invading you that's why we're taking it because we're right you're wrong and they said well wait a minute y'all have some problems back there don't well you know ignore that little man behind the you so know you're saying the, we need to fix our own house oh, we, we do we need to go into somebody else's house oh, yeah well of course we and we've yeah. been saying that for decades but that's the source of capitalism i mean yeah. when an empire i've been studying um the roman empire mm-hmm. and at, at first, I was thinking, well, the Roman Empire, the reason it collapsed was some type of morality, because we're talking about the gladiators and all sure. that. It collapsed because it stopped expanding. You know, empires, by definition, expand because they need to keep gobbling up other people's stuff. Yeah. And when, you, when that empire stops expanding, now all of a sudden the dominoes begin to, to fall backwards. So by definition, you know, like guys say, oh, well, I'm fighting for, to, to preserve his right to... For free speech, well, that's one take, but you may also be fighting because the empire. <laughs> we yeah. need to keep expanding. So, but you're but you're absolutely right that um, when you have these tough conversations like this, it's hard because for for a lot of people, their whole lives have been this illusion, whether it's states' rights or whether uh, whatever your illusion may be. Whenever an illusion is is smashed, it's a tough thing, and the question becomes. Do you pick up the little pieces of your smashed dreams and put yourself back together with what's left, or do you just ignore it and keep living in this fantasy? The reality is, I think, even harsher when you think about the history of our country since the Civil War and since slavery was abolished and the treatment of African Americans in our country. That reality is so harsh. Right. It's still sickening, and, we, and that's what we're witnessing today, and that's what we're witnessing uh, in terms of these these protests that athletes are making, sports aside, right. what does it look like to rectify? Like in your in your mind, and and maybe it's unrealistic, maybe it yeah. is. But in your mind, whether it's twenty years from now, fifty years from now, hundred years from now, what is what does our country look like when it's rectified? It looks like what the what the signers of the Declaration of Independence had in mind. I mean, this was going to be the great and Lyndon Johnson. I mean, this was going to be the great society. This is you know, give us your tired, your poor, your yearning masses, uh, your yearning to be free. I mean, that's what we were mm-hmm. set up with, is this great society. But there's so much greed. You know, I mean, everybody wants the five houses in the Hampton. I mean, you know, and it's, and, and it's hard to reconcile that. You know, um, but I think you touched on when you're talking about love. And, and uh, I mean, what does that mean? Well, love is love. I mean, love conquers hate. It just does. 
But right now, it just seems that we're so enmeshed in hatred. You know, and I think that's what a guy like Trump, and that's the unfortunate Yo, I, thing. I was just going to yeah, say that. That's yeah. the unfortunate thing about politicians, guys like that, who is such a low-hanging fruit, is to tap into that, tap into that frustration, the hatred. The, you know. He's preying on the anger right. of people right. and the fear of people. And if we're being frank, the fear of white America. Right. He's preying on that. It's. Right. I, we try to steer clear of politics on the podcast, but it's hard not to bring this up right, <laughs> right. now because yeah, yeah, it is part of the conversation, exactly. I think. You're listening to The Vertical Podcast with J.J. Reddick. Bill, I have to tell my listeners about SeatGeek. As a lot of you may know, buying tickets online for sports and concerts has been a confusing process for a long time. It's always been hard to find the best deal for that game or show you want to go to, and none of those other ticket sites want to change that. But SeatGeek is different. They've come along and created an amazing app and website that makes it easier than ever for fans to buy and sell tickets. SeatGeek is always the first place I go to to look for tickets to a game or concert. I have the SeatGeek app on my phone, and I just used it the other day to look for tickets to see of Monsters and Men. Everything about SeatGeek is designed to make life easier for sports and music fans. SeatGeek does all the price comparison for you by searching multiple ticket sites and ensuring that you get the best possible deal. SeatGeek does all the work and you save time and money. And SeatGeek wants to help you get the most bang for your buck. That's why every ticket on SeatGeek is given a grade based on value. You'll immediately see any underpriced seats and be able to find the best deals that fit your budget. Best of all, my listeners get a $20 rebate off their first SeatGeek purchase. To get your $20 rebate on tickets, download the SeatGeek app, go to the Settings tab, and click Add a Promo Code. Enter promo code JJ. SeatGeek will then send you $20 after you've made your first ticket purchase. Download the SeatGeek app and enter promo code JJ today. Now let's get back to Bill Roden. We're going to change gears real quick. You mentioned the word earlier, plantation. I don't want to sort of equate a multi-million dollar contract that mm. athletes are getting now with slavery, because mm. I know those are two very different things. Right. But the mentality, the plantation mentality, and, and that's sort of something that Oscar Robertson fought against, that Kurt, Kurt Flood fought against. Right. And it's something that I think still exists today when players decide to change teams. Absolutely. Yeah. When I said this on Twitter, and, and I caught some heat for it, but whatever. When a white executive or a white owner, when he masterminds a plan and he makes some trades and he puts a super team together, he gets praised for it. But when an African-American athlete decides to change teams, he gets vilified for it. The double standard is crazy. And and even before, even before black, I mean, athletes in general, athletes in general, I mean, even before, you know, somebody, we're talking about this the other day. Why do athletes take so much heat when they want to move, when they want to do something. And, 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 and it's, it's a weirdest dynamic, even before you get into racism, just yeah. in general. Now, if they trade you, it's okay. If they cut you, it's okay. Yeah. But when you decide, now, nah, you know what, I'm going to cut you. you know, <laughs> I, I'm cutting you. Oh, no, what? You know, I'm the bad guy. Then. That's power. Yeah. That has to do with power. It's on, it's on the plantation. Yeah. It's when you decide, you know, I'm, okay, I'm done. I'm going to either, there are three things I could do. I could stay here and continue to work for, or I could escape, or I could leave. And by definition, when you leave and you're part of this labor force, they're like, well, don't, don't leave. I mean, what am I, who's going to shut the corn? You know, and, but that's the plantation mentality here in 2016. And it's really, but, but you're right. I mean, I think why of all the other industries, when athletes decide <laughs> that we're, we're gone, you're called, you're called traitors. If you're LeBron, they burn your jersey. If, you know, I mean, it's really a very interesting phenomenon. And I think it goes back to this kind of Joe College. They will love it the way it is in college. Look at how it's structured in college, oh, yeah. where, you know, the coach can leave and get a gig immediately. You know, you leave and they, you got to sit out. You know, the coach gets the shoe contract, you wear the shoes. The coach gets the radio contract. I mean, it's all kind of skewed. Bill, don't get me started on the NCAA. Yeah. I could talk about this for an hour. My my anger and hatred towards the NCAA. I mean, seriously, it's ridiculous. Maybe I'll do a whole podcast on no, that no, at some it point. Should be. Yeah. Before, be, be, yeah. I love that you'd bring this up mm-hmm. about other industries. Right. 
before we even get to sort of the freedom to go choose another job, mm -hmm. the NBA, NFL, MLB, like all these sports leagues, they have a draft. Yeah, right. They have a draft. Right. It's no. Right. If I if I go to Harvard Law School, I get to choose where I go to work. Right. Right. Well, after I, after school, I get to choose where yeah. I go to work. I don't. If I want to go, you know, work in San Francisco, I get to do that. Right. I don't have to go work in Oklahoma City because right. in Oklahoma City, or the worst, or the the better you are, yeah. the worse firm you got to go to. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So if you're like top of your class, you know, this is all good. Yeah. You're gonna go to like to Oklahoma. I, I don't want to yeah. kill Oklahoma, but no, you're right. It's completely. But but the interesting thing though is on draft and you look at you when you were drafted you were one of the happiest guys oh, on earth right but I didn't understand it I didn't completely understand it <laughs> right. and and I've, I spoke on this when Kevin Durant first uh, decided to leave but right. you know with the way the contracts work when you're drafted you sign a four year deal mm -hmm. if you're a first round pick then you become a restricted free agent and if you're a guy like Kevin Durant you're going to sign that five year max extension. So you're basically, you're drafted by one team. They essentially, I don't want to say own, but they have you Even for nine years. They have you for nine years. You're going to get your four-year rookie contract, your five-year extension. They have you for nine years. Don't you think at the end of that nine years, it's okay if you want to say, eh, I'm going to try something else. I think that's, I think that's totally I that's, American. I think that's American. The reason you broke it down, the, the way you broke it down, Nine years. I don't even know most people. Nine. That's a, that's a long time. Most careers don't last that long. <laughs> right. uh, you know what I'm saying? If you if you do nine years, you've really done a lot. So most people, you're right. And this is a guy in his 20s. Most people in their 20s have had three or four jobs and maybe even three or four careers, and they're still figuring out My what they want to do. 26. She'll be 26 in October. Yeah. And out of college, she went to Wellesley. She went right. By the way, her second choice, she was going to go to Duke or Wellesley. And during when she was deciding. You got no. You weren't. You were gone. But Duke was playing in a regional at the university. You know, you were, you were longer. Duke was playing a regional down at uh, DC at the Capitol Center. Okay. And I'm like looking for some reason. I just looked at the Duke bench and the guys and all that. And I called us Raisa. You are not going to any school with a major sports program. <laughs> <laughs> you just not because I and I guess I know too much about uh, the whole thing. Anyway, but the, we, go, we won't go down that road, JJ. Yeah, but yeah. but the point though is that it is completely fair if, if you want. There are two things that I think the Kaepernick thing and some other stuff. If you want a movement, and let's say a multiracial or not just a movement, the movement one is let's abolish the draft. You know, abolish the draft because it's not it's inherently unfair that when you it's got inherently un-American. It's un-American. Yeah, yeah, it's un-American. You're supposed to go where the marketplace leads. Really, with the way our CBAs work, there is no free market. Right. You right. know, right. even with contracts, there's like LeBron can't go sign for what his true value is. Whereas, I, I used the example in July, but I think it was um, uh, Microsoft bought uh, LinkedIn right, right, for right. $26 billion or whatever they bought him for. Like, they were able to go out on the marketplace and get multiple bidders and get whatever somebody's willing to pay, which was, a, by all accounts, a pretty high overpay at $26 right. billion. LeBron can't do that. That's kind of crazy. Right. I mean, I guess the only time you could do that is when you're a free agent, right? When you're yeah, but even then, you're, you have cap restrictions and maximum and minimum salaries. It's just right, which it was by baseball. Like I said we don't want a cap. We want to be able to pay. I guess baseball they don't have they don't have a cap. They don't have a cap. You st they they have a luxury tax where like the Yankees pay the luxury tax. Right. But any team can go out and sign Giancarlo Stanton for three hundred right. exactly. If you yeah. want to, say. and that's the way it should work. I guess I'm wondering how that looks. Because you are talking about a slightly different industry, I guess, in a way. How that looks for the weakest. In other words, clearly the top sure. the top 30 guys, well, I guess they figured out because at the end of the day, these teams want the best players. Mm -hmm. And so maybe what happens is that there's no draft. I think it would maybe hurt the teams that don't have owners or markets that have deeper pockets. Right. It would hurt the smaller markets, essentially, because in theory – Let's say next summer Kevin Durant and Steph Curry were both, you know, they're both free agents. In theory, the Knicks or the Lakers could go say, all right, we're going to give you both $350 million, and you could stack a team potentially and have, you know, one or two teams. But, how many, but you could only still – you only could get, what, 15 people on a roster? Yeah. And they're like, how many great players do you think are in the world? I mean – Really great? I mean, like – well, not great, but good. I mean, really, in other words, if you want to put together, you have, what, 32 teams? 30, we have 30 teams. 30 teams. So there's 450 players. I would say from, like, 50 to 150, like, the, the top, 
like 150 guys down to about the 50 guys. Like those, I'm not saying they're interchangeable, but like the impact is probably pretty marginal, you know, the difference. And then from like 50 to 20 right. is sort of the same. And then from like 20 to five, it's sort of the same. And then, yeah. you know, the top three to five guys, those are the LeBrons, right. the KDs, those, those guys which, are different. Right, which in any industry, yeah. any industry, you're only going to have a handful. I don't care. Yeah. You're not going to have, you're going to have a handful of like really, truly brilliant people. And every, the rest of us are just trying to <laughs> be the best we can on a given day. I mean, you know, so, but no, I, I, I agree that, um, you know, maybe that should be the next thing. The other thing, too, is that they're getting rid of the draft, but even this Kaepernick thing, in fact, the guy I want you to introduce, uh, meet you, Jonathan Rogers, yeah. Eric he was saying that with the Kaepernick thing, the question, I think a lot of people, okay, what's the next level? Where sure. do we go from here? And a lot of these companies, these corporations, Nike, Adidas, uh, Under Armour, A, they don't have any black people on their board, and they don't do business with black vendors. And it's almost as if, They've got these big clients, and they say, okay, we want you to look outward. Don't look inward. Because once you look inward at us, now all of a sudden, you're going to, if you have any kind of consciousness, you're going to walk through our offices. You're going to say, wait a minute. What are you guys doing? I mean, you're not doing any business with any black vendors. You don't have any black people on your corporate board. Basically, I'm basically the mule, and you're kind of trotting me out there but what are you doing for my community, my people, except building a recreation house? This is all about power and control. Yeah, you know, that's what I was going to say. It, it sounds like it, it comes down to sort of empowerment, really, empowering, yeah. empowering uh, people. Yeah. yeah, yeah. to empower you. What, what, what is in the Bible? I don't know. Yeah, I'm not, my office is in a church, but I don't always <laughs> go to church all the time. No, my office, my, my real office has been yeah. in, a, in a, an Episcopal church for 20-something years. But... What is it? I want. To, I don't want to give you the fish. I want to teach you the fish. Mm-hmm. You to, sure. That kind of thing. And that's yeah. what. So if I'm, if I'm one of these guys, I'm with Under Armour, Nike, Adidas, and all that. I'm looking at my guys. Say, wait a minute. Yeah. How many black folks do you guys? Right. Even my own organization. I want to walk through the front office, and I want to find out. Wait a minute. How many black secretaries? How many black? What? Let yeah. me go. The higher I go, right. the whiter or the non-black it gets. You know. So. I, I just thought of this though. That unfortunately is the the sort of the structure of a lot of companies, even mm-hmm. within our league. Mm-hmm. We're I, I would say one of the more progressive leagues in, in professional sports, but there's not a lot of people of color at the top. Whether you look within an organizational structure or the league structure, right. although I should I should retract that there are a lot of people that like Mark Tatum at the NBA yeah, that, that that you know are of color. But I guess mm-hmm. my point is, if you're growing up and you're trying to essentially quote unquote get out your your model your dream is to be a professional athlete where there's not a lot of other positions that you look at and say that's okay that's attainable right that's attainable that's one of the guys here uh one of the panels this morning was about stem and why so many young black kids don't go into these the stem areas of, of education but he said one of the things we have to do you mentioned where do i see this thing going I think you have people have to. Well, you said the same way. People have to see yeah. what they can do. You have to see the yeah. vice president. There has to be of the a corporation hope right. and, a, and a dream. Right now, it's and the, rea- <laughs> and the reality. I mean, yeah, you know. Like, well, but, but, but what I'm saying is, if if a young black kid in Chicago mm-hmm. sees someone that's a CEO of a Fortune 500 company, and that is you know sort of highlighted. And he may feel empowered that that's attainable, that right. he's, he's got hope because that is a reality. And the guy has to, I think that if people of sort of my generation now, we're sort of running that third leg of the relay. Yeah. And now we're like handing off sure. the anchor. Sure. That's my entire focus. That's my entire reason right now for. This is the next phase of your life. Yeah, basically yeah. handing off. Mm-hmm. You know, we're, um, there's an exciting venture. I don't know if I've mentioned it yet because I haven't quite sign a contract i'll tell you off air okay and then by the time you come on my podcast it'll, it'll be, probably be official but yeah. what it is is creating a infrastructure that will support me you know creating a, a next generation sure and what they're saying is that we will we will help put people in the pipeline and uh, we will force our people to put people in the pipeline because that's really kind of all it's uh all it's about all right, Bill, I've taken up a lot of your time. Uh, yeah, but it's uh, been cool. This has been fun. This has been a lot of fun. I look forward to coming on your podcast, Bill mm-hmm. Roden on Sports. Mm-hmm. 
Bill, this has been great. Thanks a lot. No, the pleasure's mine. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Vertical Podcast with JJ Reddick. I'd really like to thank today's guest, Bill Roden. Remember to subscribe and listen to new and archived episodes wherever you listen to the podcast. And be sure to subscribe to the Vertical Podcast with Woj and the Vertical Podcast with Chris Mannix. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, Google Play, and you can now hear the Vertical Podcast Network every weekday at 3 p.m. Eastern on Sirius XM Satellite Radio, on Sirius Channel 214, XM Channel 203, and on the Sirius XM app on Channel 967. My podcast airs on Sirius XM Every Monday and Thursday, the Vertical Podcast with Chris Mannix every Tuesday, and the Vertical Podcast with Woj every Wednesday and Friday. You can always tweet me at JJ Reddick for any questions and comments. I'd also like to thank our sponsors, Audible, Outdoor Voices, and SeatGeek. Be sure to support them the way they support us here at the Vertical Podcast. We'll catch you next week. This has been a digital media production. Find your voice.